welcome to the rumble right <laughs> welcome to the rumble yeah so uh, i think this is a podcast we've promised for longer than than ever uh, yeah for along, several months along with uh, the peter atia uh, part three that mm-hmm. we still haven't done um but today is do calories matter question mark the calorie debate the great calorie of debate. 2024 and it really comes down to uh, calories versus hormones right but we'll just call it the great calorie debate mm-hmm. that sounds intriguing but, but i think everyone every patient out there that's what we've been taught calories are the most mm-hmm. important thing yeah. and if you have a calorie deficit you're going to lose weight and keep it off forever which is doesn't work doesn't work and we know that to be true chelsea has my uh uh, calorie curve, the uh, calorie mm-hmm. calorie deficit model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you drew yourself. I drew is myself. This, on is Microsoft this theoretical Word. or is this coming from? No, it's a uh, source. <laughs> <laughs> My brain, <laughs> a source. <laughs> but no, like if if you follow the the calorie mantra, um, if you're eating more calories than you're burning, you're gaining weight, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then you know somebody wants to lose weight, so they decrease their calorie intake to. Um, you know, 1600. So they're, say their, their basal metabolic rate plus their activity was 1800. And so they decrease it to 1200, 1600. So there for a while they lose weight. Right. Right. And then, then what happens? And then it stops. Plateau. Everybody. And 30, 35 pounds. You can't go further. Mm-hmm. Uh, patients well, on my, on my little graph that I draw, it's called the wall. Yep. Hit the wall. You hit right? the wall. And then you have a decision to make. Do I go to a thousand calories? Right. Do you keep restricting? Yeah. Do I go? Do I go lower? Or you know? do you give up? Or do I give up? And so most people give up. Most people. Right. <laughs> and then you go. You say you just go back to what you were eating: eighteen hundred, two thousand calories a day. Your, your metabolism, your your basal metabolic, your it's it's still at twelve hundred. Mm-hmm. So you rapidly regain weight. And here's the kicker: you put on ten extra pounds yeah, plus a little extra. Yeah, because your your metabolic rate never comes back to where it was before you did the significant calorie suppression diet. And so, every that's patient goes through this. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. do it ten times. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And so that's that's what I think the diet industry would call the yo-yo diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, all you're doing over those years is drastically harming your Metabolism. what people would term metabolism. Yeah. And in healthcare, as physicians out there, we have told our patients over the years, eat less and do more. Mm-hmm. That's how you accomplish this. So right. is that true, Bo? Um, <laughs> eat right <laughs> and be active oh, would probably be a, a better a statement. New slogan. Yeah. Eat right. Do better. <laughs> I don't be know. Be active. Be active. Yeah. Um, I think in, in saying that, they eat less, do more. Um People physically eat less, so it's calorie restriction. They eat less of everything. Uh, and then be active gets really constrained or construed into on an elliptical treadmill. There's mm-hmm. no attention to muscle mass, resistance training. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody in their mind has a thought, if I could just run a 5K, I'd be skinny. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? I hate 5Ks. I hate running, period. <laughs> yeah, ditto. <laughs> right. Blue's the runner in the family. I used to be. Yeah. Used, but and now I changed. do the elliptical. Oh. Less hard on knees. And then I like the resistant component. You can turn the elliptical resistance up. Mm-hmm. And then you get a full arm workout too. And that's where I accomplish my VO2 max. I max out two or three times a week on that. And that I, lo- I love that. The red line. The red line. Nice. So would you say that there is, it's still about eat less, do more, but it's very nuanced in that. 
meaning. I don't, I don't think it's an eat less. Oh, you finish off. I shouldn't have cut you. This is a debate. So, <laughs> <This yeah. laughs> so um, do you want me to start with a quote? Start with a quote. Ooh, let's hear it. So here's kind of uh, one little plug I'm going to make is for a book that we haven't talked about yet um, by Dr. Benjamin Bickman, B-I-K-M-A-N. Um, book I read about three years ago. It says, why, why we get sick? And it's all about insulin and how insulin is the driver of disease. Meaning if we're always eating a bunch of sugar, carbs, that insulin plays all the roles with our metabolic problems, whether it be hypertension, um, whether it be diabetes, whether it be PCOS, whether it be uh, long-term uh, related to Alzheimer's because mm-hmm. of, of that being the kind of the, what we call the third diabetes, uh, top three diabetes. So here's a, qu- here's a quote that he has, and uh, Dr. Bickman plans to address the complexities, he's talking about what he's fixing to talk about in this talk, uh, address the complexities of attempting to shrink fat cells, emphasizing the role of energy in the process. Dr. Bickman acknowledges the importance of calories, but cautious against focusing solely on calorie reduction. He explains the necessity of both elevated insulin hormones and sufficient calorie caloric intake for fat cells growth if mm-hmm. only one reduces calorie intake without addressing the high insulin levels it can lead to an energy deficit in the blood triggering hunger and making diet adherence challenging Impossible. do you agree with that Bo? yeah oh, hold on I killed my mic <laughs> <laughs> trying to fix it and killed it um, <laughs> but <clears throat> I would say yes I mean, that's the baseline of my thought is if you don't fix the hormones, you don't fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think there's some general guidelines that you have to adhere by when you're going to go to the eat less model, right? Um, and you got to consider this when you're fasting, intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding. It, your body still needs things, right? Mm-hmm. So when I, when I develop a plan, it's like, all right, this is my protein goal. Like I want to get 80, 90, 100. I'm trying to lose weight, so I'm going to be 50 carbs or less, and I, and the 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 healthy fats are unlimited, in, mm-hmm. in my my approach, and in that calories don't matter, right? Because it because everybody knows fat is high calorie, right? So it's seven kilocals uh, per gram, and mm-hmm. carbs are four, and proteins are it's fats nine. Not alcohol seven. Alcohol right? seven. Al- alcohol seven. <laughs> there we go. Uh, it packs a punch. It does. does. Packs a punch. But if I'm giving my body everything it needs, you can take your calories as low as you want. You're going to see results. If you get everything your body needs, and if you don't get into unhealthy foods, you can eat as many calories as you want, and you're going to have good results. Right? Look at the average person that does keto right. Right. If you do keto right and you're getting 80 percent of your calories from fat mm-hmm. and you're getting appropriate protein and you're getting no carbs. I mean, how do those people do good for a bit? <laughs> what do you mean by that? <laughs> Until they can't do it anymore. They lose the weight and they lose it quick, usually. And so <laughs> when you come out of it, if as long as you adhere to I'm getting what I need, but I'm going to back my fat down to 50 percent of my diet or 30 percent of my diet. And that's what I hear. No, over. Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea didn't agree. 
I'm, I'm just. Not, I'm gonna give you some I'm time to think. I'm nodding. just not advocating. I'm not advocating for keto here, but uh-huh. I'm just saying if people do ketosis right, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna see results no matter the calories you're getting. We have patients all the time say, "I tried keto. Mm-hmm. I could do it for a little while. I lost a lot of weight. I fell off the wagon and regained all my weight back." Um, so I guess the question is, keto can work for a lot of patients, but is it sustainable long term? Right. Well, what, I, what, I, what's your answer to that one, Bo? It, my opinion is it's it's not a diet, right? Keto is a lifestyle. And if, if you do keto and you see results and you're like, oh, I can't sustain this, I can't get when you get off of it, go still eat healthy, like still right. do lower the, carb, mm-hmm. maybe yeah. not zero, but lower carb. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to bump it up. I'm going to get some more vegetables in my life. Um but it's not like oh, I'm off. I'm off the keto, mm-hmm. and here comes all the bad stuff again. Mm-hmm. Because you know, keto is all about hormones. It's mm-hmm. all about insulin suppression. It's all about GLP one uh, sensitivity, adiponectin, leptin sensitivity. I'm resetting it, um, and then I'm going to get off keto and go back to abusing it, right? So when people treat it as a diet, um, it's going to fail. If I'm going to treat it as something. Uh, I intermittently do, uh, and it's just part of my overall lifestyle. Like, literally, if I want to go keto, I just drop the vegetables out of my life, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's not how most people, because I'm eating a high-protein, high-fat diet baseline. When I'm not trying to be in ketosis, I'm just eating vegetables, Yeah. right? You're already eating low-carb, all of that. Right. So, but if I go, if I'm high-carb, if I'm a standard American diet and I try to go keto, first of all, you're probably never going get to gonna get into ketosis. It's going to be hard, because it's going to take you three months, six months to get there. And I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> Somebody else talk. <laughs> so one quote I wanted to make, I think just personally how I view this is I'm not, I don't think calories truly are what we need to focus on. I don't focus on calories. Um, but I have learned that I can control my hunger based off my food choices and my food choices influence the hormones in my body that drive either being hungry or not and so if I'm eating healthy and correctly well-sourced meats vegetables um, not a lot of sugar very low carb I'm full and content when I eat I don't have to eat a lot uh, especially if I have some fat in there. If I have as I have these pork chops at home that have these rind of fat around it, it doesn't take much, and I am full quickly. Hmm. Uh, my body senses that, mm-hmm. and I don't get hungry for a long time. And that's how I control my calorie intake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's all about keeping the insulin levels down and not having just based off Poor food choices, whether it be carbs, sugar, vegetables. Um, I don't have a lot of inflammation in my body because I've measured that. And therefore, I can go, if I need to, 24 hours and not get hangry. Hangry is what gets patients in trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all about, you know, it's not just, okay, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to cut my calories. It's about strategically eating the right things to control hunger. And that's why... It's sustainable. Yeah. Chelsea, what do you think? I, I agree with that. I, I think thought you were supposed to be the rebuttal in this <laughs> debate. Well, so here, here's, my, here's my thought, my overall 
kind of what I would say if I had to put it in one sentence. Calories do matter, but they don't matter the most, right? And I think that's similar to what you said. And I think we can all agree that calorie math doesn't work, right? I mean, like if we take your diet, however many calories you're eating, and we subtract um, uh, 500 per day, then you're going to lose a pound a week that doesn't work like we've and we can say that from research studies we can also say that just from the thousands of thousands of patients that we've seen that have done you know they say well I'm only eating x amount of calories so I think that's that's why the calorie math doesn't work right and because then hormones come into effect and they they come into play but I think where calories do matter is is supporting the metabolism. So similar to what you were saying earlier, because if you get past a certain point and you've decreased your calories to a certain point, then you're actually having similar deleterious effects to your metabolism. You're slowing it further. Yeah. Similar to losing muscle mass. Like if you're not, like you said earlier, if you're not getting the right amount of things like protein, for example, um, if you're not getting enough calories, you're also going to start to lose muscle and your metabolism is going to start to tank. Do you, do you have a study to quote that low calories would low calories in the setting of appropriate amino acid protein goals would have a no yeah. no study to quote but here's a here you can logically get there right the metabolism's a factory right all factories work require input the metabolism factory doesn't just require input of amino acids to work do you disagree with that uh, yeah, but if I got fat on my body. True. Yeah. And so that's, it is also different, I think, for people who are in different phases. Like if you're in a phase where you are obese versus you're a normal weight or maybe even you're underweight, I do think that plays a role too. Yeah. Hmm. Here, here's the way I really, what's, what is, what is the insulin effect on fat? So if I, if my diet's bad, um, insulin, you know, and I'm getting a high carbohydrate, high processed food diet and my insulin levels are higher than they should be. What does insulin signal to the fat cells? It keep, keep storing. Yeah. It tells your body, <laughs> if your insulin levels high, and there's a great graph I'd love to show that, um, basically your body, it's a key that keeps fat locked up in your body. Mm -hmm. It tells your body store, store energy, store, store glucose, store fat. It has to come down to a level, and this is where the problem with all our patients are. They live at a chronically elevated insulin baseline, mm -hmm. and it keeps fat and carbs and sugar just trapped in their body. So you have to get it to the point where that level comes down, and then all of a sudden, it, it turns the key and allows stuff to be, you to burn fat. Yeah, so we call that metabolically flexible. Mm -hmm. Like, if, if my insulin levels drop, my fat can be mobilized. So that this is from the National Institute of Health, which we all know <laughs> is a reliable source. Um, so insulin decreases the circulating concentration of all major metabolic fuels by stimulating glucose uptake into tissue, suppressing release of fatty acids from adipose tissue, inhibiting production of ketones in the liver, and promoting fat and glycogen deposition. Storage. So it's about hormones. <laughs> And the main culprit is insulin. And that's the only thing that I trust the NIH to get right is that <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> they actually did a pretty good job of that one. <laughs> now, one thing you mentioned, Chelsea, that I want to comment, you mentioned about studies and calories, and they, they, they basically it's really hard to 
yeah, it doesn't work. It does. So yeah. one thing I, s- I heard the other day um, that was kind of interesting. You know, we always qu- quote calories because of the second law of thermodynamics: mm-hmm. calories in, calories out, in a closed system. But our bodies in, in, in a vacuum. S- our bodies an open system. Right. So that concept may not completely apply. For example. Uh, when you're in ketosis, you're breathing a lot of ketones out. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know if in all these studies they've went to that degree of measuring mm-hmm. ketones being bre- being breathed out. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is going back to like, um, oh, the, not Jenny Craig. I'm blanking real quick. Weight um, Watchers. Yeah, Weight Watchers. So I know the point system, and you may know this more detail. Is it mostly about calories that the points are are appropriated to foods, or is it do they take in the role of protein, carbs, and fat in that when they assign that system? So it's changed, but the traditional Weight Watcher system is pretty much based on calories. And that's why I feel like you know patients we've kind of been led astray because mm-hmm. obviously we're coming to the conclusion that there's new evidence to show calories are not. What works? The number one thing. It's it's how we respond to these foods. Yeah. Now here's got a here going back to insulin, Bo. As a general rule, let's take you consume protein, isolated protein, isolated carbs, simple carbs, and fat. Insulin response to each one of those as a general rule. Mm-hmm. What about fat? I eat. You eat fat, what happens to your insulin level in your body? Nothing. Nothing. Flat. Yeah. It doesn't change. So it allows your body to keep that key open where it can unlock more fat. Agree? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Agreed. Carbs. Super high. Um, I mean, depending on how metabolically fit you are, <laughs> could be minimal or it could be huge. Huge. Yeah. Protein. Slight. Slight. Mm-hmm. Still a little response, but not a huge response. So that's why protein and fat, I think, is important in our diet, meats and vegetables. Well, I say vegetables, but that's a complex carb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so you're not raising your insulin level when you're eating those two things. Yeah. Not to any appreciable extent. And I think the, the whole idea behind time-restricted feeding, intermittent fasting is, hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time doing that in the meals I'm eating, so I'm going to drop one. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm going to suppress my insulin production because I'm just not going to eat. Right? And we can we can delve more into intermittent fasting and time restricted feeding in the hormonal aspect. Uh, and I think you know Jason Fung's book. Um, what was this? Fat burn fix. Fat what was burn that? Fix. Was that Fung? No. Um, had to do all about insulin. What was that? Diabetes effect or the insulin effect? Here, I'll look it up. He's written he's written some great books. He's written oh, a the lot. obesity code. There's yeah, the obesity, obesity code. code. Yeah, and the ultimate complete guide to fasting. Mm-hmm. And the cancer code and the PCOS plan <laughs> and the diabetes code. He's really riding that train. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if it if the first one worked, it, why, yeah. why break it? <laughs> yeah, that's uh James D. Nicolin Tao that writes Nicolantolino or something. Yeah, the fat burn fix, the salt fix, the yeah, he's got it he's got a same the same model Yeah, They're on separate trains but yeah. similar trajectories. Okay. I got one more quote I want to read, uh, from Bickman's book or he he's talking. If we fail to address the high insulin, which most of us, most of our patients live in a high insulin state, you will pitch yourself against hunger because the brain is starting to sense the reducing energy available in the blood. It will tell you to eat, eat, eat. 
and eventually you will break, said Dr. Bigman. So the best first step for shrinking a fat cell and losing weight is to reduce insulin. Ignore the calories. And then as you reduce insulin by controlling your carbs, prioritizing protein, and not fearing fat, now you will increase your metabolic rate, you will increase your mitochondrial density, you will start using your own fat for fuel, and start shrinking fat cells and losing weight. Like there we that. go. <laughs> and yeah, I sent this email to you guys a while back, but it was, um, it looked at like 60 studies over the past like 80 years about calorie suppression and long-term weight loss. And none of them prove it. None of them prove it. And like these are like, because you got to separate out the major studies, it's hard to do a dietary study. Yeah. Uh, because of controlling. Um, right. But these were like the 60 of the, the, the best. Uh, and none of them proved that long-term calorie suppression led to adequate and sustained weight loss. Yeah. But we keep telling everybody. <laughs> right? But you know what we can look at is studies that look at weight regain after people have lost a certain amount of weight and kept it off for a certain amount of time. What are the factors? And again, these are very imperfect studies because like you said, we don't live in a closed system. We live in an open system. So there are infinite number of factors that go into this. But um, when you look at some of the more long-term studies like the, and again, not perfect, but the national like weight registry study where they follow people for 10, 20 years, something like that. And they look at what are the factors of people that have lost weight, kept it off for X amount of time, like five to 10 years. And then what causes them to gain weight or what do we suspect causes them to gain weight? One of the things is an increased percentage energy intake, particularly from fat. There are other things such as decreased activity levels. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's hard to look at because when you do look at studies, you can't control for everything. When we're talking about doing a weight loss study of, okay, let's put you in this group and you in this group and you're going to have a this many calorie diet and you're going to have a this many calorie diet. And it's not perfect because you would have to control so many things. It would be so expensive to do a really good study. So they're not out there. Yeah. But you can look pretty decently at the other side of the weight regain, right? Because that's where a lot of our patients end up. And that's what we're talking about is, you know, when you do lose this weight, um, but have you done it in a way that supported your metabolism so that you're going to be able to keep it off? And then what do we see in people who don't keep it off? So in a practical sense, what do you think those patients start doing? What, what are know, they eating? What are they, what, what's. Yeah. And I think this kind of goes back to where it's like calories don't matter most because I think they're probably going back to eating a lot of really highly processed foods, right? And we know that a lot of times that elevated fat intake maybe also comes with an elevated carb intake, right? Because we see a lot of those, like the, the high carb, high fat foods that we see in the standard American diet. You've got your pastries, you know, your donuts, your crackers, your whatever. And so I think, I think that's ultimately it. You can't pinpoint it in a study, right? You can't pinpoint it down to one specific thing. But I do think it's interesting that they point it down to not an elevated, not an increase in carb energy intake, but an increase in fat energy intake. And as we all know, <laughs> not all fats are the same. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, because here's the thing is they instantly you want to jump on, well, you just need to cut your fat out. But uh, what I would say is there's, there's clean, good fat, mm -hmm. and there's 
unclean, inflammatory, bad fat. For sure. And knowing the difference between those two is very important. Yeah. Um, so. So I think, I think the other thing that <coughs> argues against the calorie model would be the, the mitochondrial function and uh, reactive oxidative species and how it affects the mitochondrial conversion of energy, mm -hmm. right? So in that closed loop system where, you know, we're, we're burning it and we're getting a calorie, that doesn't equate to what the mitochondria is doing, right? So if I have a carb coming into the mitochondria, but the electron transport chain is jacked up, I'm not getting four kilocals from that, right? right? Mm -hmm. And this is why I tell people uh, that, oh, I have a low metabolism. I, I don't burn energy. And I'm like, no, you got you got an energy creation problem. Your body can't create mm -hmm. energy because they think low metabolism, oh, I got to eat less, I got to eat less. And in that situation, you probably, you're getting too too little. I mean, we see it. Mm -hmm. we, we check basal metabolic rates and people that are 100, 200 pounds overweight and they have a basal metabolic rate of 1,200, yeah. 1,300, right? So if that person buys into the eat less debate, they're going to have zero results. In mm -hmm. fact, they're going to make things worse mm -hmm. because it's about mitochondrial function. They, they have yeah. poor mitochondrial function. So instead of focusing on eating clean and fixing the mitochondria and being active, they're, trying to, they're out there trying to eat less food. Yeah. There's a cool uh, study I saw, and it's a basic science study, but they look at the mitochondrial level and the number one predictor for insulin resistance, like your body um, creating insulin resistance pretty quickly, is reactive oxygen species. So if you're in, and that's basically inflammation in your body. Mm -hmm. So when you introduce something into your body that's causing those a really high inflammatory state at the mitochondrial level, all of a sudden your body's like, whoa, whoa, I, I can't handle all this, this either glucose coming at me or whatever, because I can't, uh, then the electron transport chain is, there's too many reactive oxygen species and I've got to shut this down or it's going to burn all down. So what ends up happening is there's a feedback loop at the mitochondrial level that says downregulate glucose um, transport into the, the mitochondria which instantaneously you become insulin resistant yeah and then your insulin levels are high and your body shuts off burning fat and so it's just what you said Bo but I guess that's where we've got to control how we can how efficiently our mitochondria can handle and it's based off what we eat mm -hmm. right and keeping that inflammation and in, down and in the energy level where they can use that energy up agree I mean, I agree. I agree. Okay. <laughs> I want to show you that study. That's a fascinating yeah. study. We, we but how do you translate it into actual real life? <laughs> That's the key thing. We, yeah. we were supposed to have somebody with a very strong anti position. No, no, I said I was in the middle. I thought Blue was going to be the one that was on the other side, honestly. So I, I'll say this I do share with all my patients um, checking the BMR. Uh, I think that that's an. Not that we're going to prescribe this is the calories you mm -hmm. need to take to, to be, but I think it really assesses how metabolically broken they are. Sure. Okay. If they're off the chart low, to me, it's they've dieted a lot, they've calorie restricted a lot, um, and their body has the mitochondria, they don't have the mitochondria efficiency 
Uh, therefore, I use it, one, to show patients why they're struggling. Um, they've got a me- metabolically inflexible, broken metabolism. Yeah. So how do we correct that? Um, it's through, as you said, Bo, Chelsea Bo, through food choices, uh, particularly avoiding inflammatory foods and, and carbs to keep our insulin level down. The second thing I think is you have to introduce some kind of exercise to build mitochondria. Um, and then the third thing is, is once, if these patients are significantly overweight, 100 pounds or more, then instead of doing a sleeve, I'm going to recommend to do it on switch because we know from data there's actually a metabolic f- effect. And uh, so metabolic meaning hormone, hormonal effect. Yeah. So I think um, this is at the mice level, but they took all the different surgeries and the doodle switch actually raised their metabolism. And I don't know, I think it's through insulin resistance and re- reversing that at a mitochondrial level and mm-hmm. body level so quickly. Yeah. I mean, uh, there was a great analogy in the, the glucose revolution. I mean, she was telling the story about her granddad, I think. Well, it wasn't about him. She was using him as a, an example. <laughs> but he went to go work at a coal factory. You guys, are, you don't remember that? Yeah, and about and, getting uh, too much coal in there. Yeah, and so he was shoveling coal. Oh, it was a steam engine. He always wanted to work on a steam. Uh, I uh, didn't read this book. Oh, uh, you didn't read The no. Glucose Revolution? Mm-mm. I just <gasps> uh, have the little cookbook that comes after it, and I love oh, that. Okay. It's a good book. It's an easy, quick read. Too. Yeah. yeah, and I, th- I think it's on the appropriate level for, for everybody, yeah. too. And she's, I mean, she's the one that, that – that promotes glucose monitors for, mm-hmm. for, for healthy living and trying to figure out what works for your body. But anyways, her granddad wanted to work on a train and he was going to be the guy that shovels coal. Right. And so he's working along, they're supplying coal, he's shoveling it and throwing it into the burner. It, it, but then he slows down, but they keep bringing the coal. Mm-hmm. Right. So the coal ke- starts backing up. And so you got to view that coal backing up as two things. It's going to cross. Uh, that's what's going to cause the reactive oxygen species. Uh, that's what's going to damage your mitochondria. But that's also what's going to get stored as fat, right? You know, kind of my, my bucket analogy. Mm-hmm. I guess. I've mm-hmm. heard that's my bucket, good, my overflow analogy. analogy. Yeah. And so to you got a couple options on how to fix a situation. You can decrease the supply and let this little mitochondria catch back up and decrease the reactive oxygen species. Or you can create more mitochondria to help out this one guy, which would be in the form of exercise, mm-hmm. right? That to me, that's where exercise is important: aging well, moving, but also regenerating mitochondria and reminding your body that it, it needs them, right? Yeah. Great analogy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I like it. Well, what else in the calorie debate? I, I think um, again, this I can relate to this personally. Um, I think the way that I get my hormones aligned quickly is through periodic fasting. Um, I think it just getting your cow or not calories, but reducing your intake of all food that insulin level comes down and it starts, my body starts switching over to burning fat and ketones come up. Your hunger goes down and I think if patients are to the point, they have to work up to this to get metabolically flexible. But if I go on a, 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 an unhealthy weekend, the way that I get that inflammation simmering down and my body back reset, my hormones back reset, is through a 24-hour plus fast. 
And so that's that's my quickest way, a kind of a hack, what I say, to get to the point where I can get my con- my hunger back under control. Yeah, same here. You know, if I if I have a bad weekend and I want to jump back into being metabolically fit, uh, you know, either a, a pretty significant time restricted fast, so like, you know, a, a two two hour eating window or a twenty four hour fast. Um, but then not, but realizing also that's not the end all be all. Like, when what are you mm-hmm. going to do when you come out of the fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to eat pizza. Yeah, <laughs> Starbucks. Yeah. And that, that to me, that's the the one challenge with, you know, uh, we have patients come in and say, I've, I've been doing intermittent fasting. And ultimately, intermittent fasting just ends up, for most people, being a calorie suppression. Right. Right. Uh, I went from three meals a day uh, to two meals a day. I'm intermittently fasting. But they're still not getting enough protein. They're still not getting enough fat. So so basically, it's just calorie suppression. And that's the reason they're not seeing the results. Mm-hmm. I try to remind people, you, you, with the, with intermittent fasting, you're so you're compressing your time, not your intake. Yeah. You know that's that was that was that Peter Atia the triangle. Yes, it yeah. was. You can you can suppress one of three things, but not mm-hmm. all. You can't suppress them all at the same time. Right. So you can suppress time, you can suppress content, carbohydrates, or you can suppress calories. Mm-hmm. But you can't if you do them all at once. It'll not lead really. to disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> So the, the well philosophy I s- I, Yeah, well, let me, let me just say this. I do still fundamentally disagree that calories don't matter at all. Well, here's your proven che- point. Yeah, Chelsea, <laughs> this is your end, point. here she just <laughs> yeah. makes I'm a just, statement. I'm just saying, okay, I need to make sure we get that across. Okay, okay well, put your, uh, this is your platform. I mean, there's 2 million listeners right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where'd you guys come from? Uh, we paid some Russian bots. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think that, so... What you're saying, and I think what you believe, right, okay, it's hormones, yes, but <clears throat> you wouldn't say it's a free-for-all. Even if you're eating the healthiest, most natural foods you can, even if you are still overeating. Now, I think there's a lot of wiggle room. I'm not saying I'm ascribing to calorie math, so there's a lot of wiggle room there. But let's say that your basal metabolic rate, you're burning 2,000 calories a day. You can't say, even if you are eating the healthiest foods, that if you double that, that you're not going to gain weight. What's if, if I suppress my insulin, what is storing, what is creating fat? Well, where else, where is it going? Where well, else is all of that excess going? Oh, well, you tell me. <laughs> this <laughs> to is your, the, to the, your fat. This is like the prove God theory, right? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like that, that is, it's not all coming out in waste. You don't, you don't see that. It's somehow being put into fat in your body. There's some sort of an insulin response. All right. So we've talked about this. So to, to store fat, you have to have insulin. Yeah. So if there's no, I mean, you, you always have a certain level of insulin right. available. Right. So uh, fat is made up of mainly carbohydrates and a glycerol backbone. Mm-hmm. So it takes way less fat to make a fat cell than it does a carbohydrate. So I don't know of any mechanism that stores glycerol alone without having carbohydrates attached to it. I'm sure there is. I just don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time since I did biochem. I mean, protein, if you ever eat protein, you pee out the amino acids. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, your body can only handle 30 to 40 grams of protein at a time. The rest of it, you're going to urinate out mm-hmm. as protein or amino acids. 
Well, but even let's say, because I agree with you, like in order to store fat, basically what you're saying, like layman's terms, in order to store fat, you've got to have some sort of carbohydrate present because that's what's going to give you the insulin response. Correct. Vegetables are going to do that. Well, yeah, that's got carbs in it. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Uh Uh-huh. If I keep it under 50. (laughs) Okay. So what you're saying, what your ultimate thing is then is you can eat however many calories you want. As long as your carbs don't go over 50. Here's the thing. I think if in your diet you're getting what your body needs, you're not going to overeat. I agree with that. I do agree with that. Because you're going, like Blue said, you're going to kind of fix your hunger. Yeah, like you're, gonna you're have, not going to want more than that. Right. So I, I do agree with that. Yeah. So I think if you're eating appropriate content in your calorie conversation, you won't. I mean, you could probably push it to 3,000, 3,500 <laughs> maybe. But that's assuming that people only eat for metabolic reasons. People eat for a lot of reasons. Well, their main one needs to be metabolic reasons. <laughs> I know, but it's You can not. eat for enjoyment. You can eat for happiness. You can eat to bury depression. You can do that stuff. But if your goals, which I assume if you're listening to this podcast, your goal is to be healthy and to lose weight or maintain your weight, this is what you got to do. This yeah. is, we, we've sugarcoated it too long in America, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the, this calor- the calorie... You know, we're, we're, we're Americans. We want something to calculate, right? So that's that's why yeah, the calorie, formula. that's the reason the calorie thing exists. Like, oh, make it easy for me to understand how to lose weight. And the calorie the calorie mantra fits real well. It's, it's a math problem. And most people know addition and subtraction. If you don't, it's on your iPhone. There's a calculator. <laughs> right. You could, there's an app for that. Right. There's an app for that. Um, but, and the reason people aren't having this honest conversations with patients is most doctors don't know, don't even understand what we're talking about, right? Most most dietitians don't know what we're this mm-hmm. no they, they're not really I mean they comprehend this but it's not right. it's so much easier to go back to the yeah. let me tell you what a carb and a protein and a fat is and here's your calorie goal yep right for sure um I'll say just as you were talking about people eat for different reasons I think something I've learned over the past few years that's changed in my mind is culturally we ate three meals a day that's what my family did okay we ate breakfast we ate lunch we ate dinner it was a family social thing that's when we talk and sat down which is a great thing but I would eat just because it's time to eat it's time to eat Mm -hmm. and I think now we need to switch that thinking that we can still do that but if I'm not hungry, I don't need to be eating. Mm-hmm. And I think it's recognizing and being in tune with your body on your hunger signals. And not just doing it because it's habit, not just be not be doing it just because it's in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many little cues that I don't think we listen to our body. We do it because. And if it's truly hunger and wanting to give our body nutrition, that's a different different thing but most of us aren't making those decisions for that reason yeah there's a pretty good podcast on stuff you should stuff you should know you know i've told you guys about stuff Mm -hmm. you should know Mm -hmm. you met this guy yeah met him in mexico Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh oldest running podcast in american history that's amazing didn't know that besides joe rogan uh joe rogan (laughs) came came around way after these guys (laughs) did um but anyways they did a story on the origins of breakfast foods because historically, breakfast was not something people ate until Dr. 80. Kellogg. Yeah, Dr. Kellogg, about 80, 80 100 years ago. You know, the Industrial Revolution, basically, when people were having to go to factory work. And so lunch, lunch break was variable. 
And so people started eating breakfast because they really didn't know kind of when they were going to be able to eat lunch. Um, so lunch in millennia was the first meal of the day, right? Uh, people did not eat breakfast. And, you know, you can see where our health's gone <laughs> in the past 80 <laughs> years. Uh, and so there's, and, you know, the, the origin of breakfast came breakfast foods, cereals, oatmeals, uh, pastries, mm-hmm. things of that nature. The beginning but, of the demise of America. Yeah. Right along with the invention of plastic. Yeah. We well, talked about that. Yeah. Well, the 1939 World Trade Fair, uh, yeah. the individual wrapping. Uh, there was really not much in the way of breakfast food, grab and go. There was really no processed food until then, right. until you could put it in a, in a wrapper and individually wrap it. Mm-hmm. And that's, so thank you, Chicago. And, and my understanding is, so is De- Dr. Kellogg, he had a, um, was it kind of a, more of a hospital setting or a, what do they call it, the sanitarium? Sanitarium, yeah. 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 So he would put patients in there and they did toasted corn flakes hmm. was his first cereal. They said it was so bland and disgusting that people wouldn't eat it. So eventually adding a little sugar, which his relative, I think, I think Mr. it was his brother. Post, or Dr. Post, <coughs> I don't know if he was a doctor. I think they had a competition of making it more palatable and then oft you have Kellogg's and you have Post. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think one of them, this is how the story goes, they were in business together or something like that, and one of them went on vacation mm. and ch- right changed that. the they formulation. Made, made he it added, better for he all added the a ton of sugar. <laughs> people would eat it. And, and, oh, one of the, and one of them was kind of more health conscious, yeah, which I think right. was Post. I thought it was Kellogg uh, and Post. Post yeah. Man. All right. Double check all that. I, I, oh, yeah, I'm going to look that up because that's yeah. a great story. Yeah. <laughs> But look at cereal. And then they kind of also, I remember he had a plant-based kind of approach to things. um, Don't hold me to that, but that's kind of my opinion on when I read the story. Um, So So, so Kellogg Kellogg was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist. Yes, it's so So uh, plant-based. Plant-based diet. Uh, He had some other weird um, thoughts Enema, as well. Enemas, I think, was a ther- therapeutic enemas. Well, the, oh. the the main reason he wanted bland food is he thought sex was a sin. Yes, that's right. And he, they had studied on a processed food diet that testosterone levels went down hmm. and that men had less sex. So he thought that was a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And so he kind of created this highly processed um Bland toasted, diet, yeah, toasted corn, yeah, <laughs> to huh. suppress, su- to pre- suppress to, testosterone, to, yeah, yeah, to, to decrease oh. sex drive. Well, and how many of our patients deal with that? Yeah, right. Um, eating a highly processed our patients, food majority, diet. majority of America. Yeah, true. Low, low testosterone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't feel good. Don't sleep good. I mean, it's so tired. So I was on a. I, I was fishing this weekend, or yeah, I was in New Orleans, uh, down in Venice. Uh, I think I mentioned that yesterday. So. Two podcasts in a row, people are going to hear that. <laughs> but we had a guy, our, our fishing guy was a young guy. He was like uh, 24, 25. And he, uh, we got talking about, hey, Picture man. Picture of health. Uh, yeah, he's very, very healthy. I mean, most fly fishing guides are, especially saltwater fly fishing guides are, they're kind of hippie, you know. <laughs> um, and he was just, I was just asking him about, hey, you got a girlfriend? Yeah, I've been dating this girl for six years, you know. I was like, well, six years, man. It's time to poop or get off the pot, you know. <laughs> And he just kind of started talking about like the the younger mentality with relationships and marriage and sex, and how that 
that that's kind of gone away. Yeah. Right. Like he's like, I got buddies that haven't. They they're twenty six years old. They never dated a girl. I'm like, man. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think they're doing it for religious reasons. You know, it's uh, and Boy, it's things change. Well, it's how much of it's diet? Sure. Yeah. How much of it yeah. is the testosterone levels in these kids is like just crashed? Yeah. I mean, not that I'm promoting, you know. <laughs> we need to have know. that. Have we talked about that? Just uh, all the estrogen and fat cells, and particularly men, I think it, it when you're carrying extra weight, it does feminize you. Yeah, uh, estrogen levels go up. And then the, also the, the microplastics. Yeah. You know, have a, have a really, de- the de-aromatase, yeah. like they pr- pretty much uh, destroy your ability to break down uh, estrogen. Certain, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that, that I, was the, I, uh, I strongly... F- feel that our processed diet and obesity in America has has a lot of influence on gender ideas, identity. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because it's just you, these hormones are all out of whack. It's very confusing on your brain, everything. And so it, everything goes back, our health goes back to what we are eating. Yeah. And goes back to the hormones. Yeah. Y- you guys keep talking. I'm, I'm trying to summarize the Kellogg story. <laughs> yeah, it's a good story. Huh. Um, but... I tell you, that has become a very profitable business in America is breakfast cereals and quick and easy. And one thing that, that, that I've learned over the years is our body, our glucose and insulin level is highest in the morning. Because when we wake up, there's a natural stress response. Well, cort- cortisol. I mean, cortisol. And we're leaving the fact that that hormone, not calories, plays a lot into our ability to have insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason we always talk about stress management. Because mm-hmm. if you're not controlling cortisol, you're not going to control insulin. And Chelsea, you can correct me, but if you're going to have some carbs, breakfast in the morning is the worst time to have it. Yeah. Because you're yeah. compounding that insulin effect, glucose effect, and you add cortisol, you know, um, uh, frosted mini flakes mm-hmm. on there. And yep. all of a sudden, your blood sugar's in the 180s, right. and then all of a sudden, your insulin's high, and your body, just what I read earlier, it's, it's, it controls your hunger, and mm-hmm. you're going to get hungry in two hours, and it's going to be a perpetual cycle all day, and you cannot control right. that hunger. And I think that's what we've personally seen, like wearing a glucose monitor, too, is, yeah, that, that's totally true. Like, okay, there was a morning where it was donuts with dad at school, so I had a donut with my kiddo, and then the rest of the day was just like, crazy on your glucose monitor you know so you do see that but um endocrinologists are still telling people if you're gonna eat your carbs eat them in the morning i had somebody just this week (laughs) just this week tell me that that's what her endocrinologist told her wrong yeah so we had to have the discussion okay well let's think about maybe why that's not true maybe is it working for you oh no it's not okay so let's think about maybe why um and talking about cortisol and but nobody like isn't it wild an endocrinologist who is ultimately like a kind of like a hormone doctor, right? Like that's all they that's all they deal with, hormones. right? And but they're not going to talk about cortisol. No, man, it, they got to write that prescription. <laughs> yeah, it, here's where so. I go back. To, uh, you personally need to wear a glucose monitor to understand your body, and I think if the endocrinologist out there would do that, mm-hmm. they would change what they've been talking about. Sure, um, because we can read these scientific papers and all that. But now we're starting to get down to an individual level with these biometric um, 
devices that we can look and specifically know how in real time our body is responding. Yeah. That's way better than any scientific paper. You can just go ahead and burn yeah. some of those scientific papers because they're <laughs> they're not they're they're not per, they're not getting us healthy. Well, and they're not individualized, right? Like right. they're not in your body system, uh, w- in which we've seen different. Like I was like, hey, you know what? Actually, like most people's blood sugar goes up in the morning. Mine dips. You know, so I learned that too. So like for me, maybe it's not the worst choice to have my carbs in the morning because I do have a little bit different of a response, but. You, you don't know that unless you can see it. That's interesting. Yeah. Levels That's why I have a hard com. time waking up. <laughs> Maybe so. There's a lot of things that we've seen as a result of your testing that kind of makes the, us scratch our heads. That don't make sense. Yeah. yeah. So my wife has the same uh, yeah. through the night. Her glucose gets really low. Yeah. Mine gets into like 50s. Mm-hmm. Like that, 50, that, 55. Don't, it's not alarming. Like, that's fine. No, yes. And I feel it's not affecting me. But when I wake up, you know, most people, if they were in the 50s all night when they woke up, they'd start getting to the 80s, you know. Mine. Maybe uh, <laughs> Maybe I was at 70 and all of a sudden I dropped to 50 in the morning. I don't know. Maybe you have a your cortisol depletion. Maybe. Have you tested Super stressed. No, I, ha- I have not. Yeah. No. So my DHEA is low. And I had to supplement it for a little while and then it popped back up. So that's something to check. Yeah. You also did some other things to remedy yeah, your I never do one stress thing levels. All at once. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I throw the kitchen sink at everything. <laughs> all right. See what sticks. <laughs> all right. I don't, I don't want to wrap it up, but because this is good, but I, I do want to give you guys the full story of Dr. Kellogg. Let's hear it. So he was a physician over a sanitarium, so insane people, and his <laughs> theory was that people go insane because of masturbation. So that was that was his working theory. Do Kellogg, need, you said. Do we yeah. need to label this an X-rated? Uh, an explicit. Podcast? Don't worry, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those are explicit okay, words. I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, but anyways, he came up with the theory because he's a Seventh Day Adventist that he would come up with this diet that would lower testosterone, and then these people wouldn't masturbate, and their insanity would go away. Right. That was his theory. So uh, there was another guy that was working with him. His name was Sylvester Graham. Graham, Graham crackers, crackers oh, okay. right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so they came up with this whole idea of giving a crappy diet to people to suppress their sexual urges, right? So the story goes on. Kellogg had a brother, John Harvey Kellogg. So he saw like this business ma- potential. He saw the business potential and the mass production potential of kind of this prepackaged food. So his brother stepped out of the business for a while, and he added a ton of sugar to everything. And lo and behold, it took off, right? And that's how we know Kellogg now. We don't know Kellogg because of his m- masturbation-suppressing <laughs> diet. We know him for the sweet, sugary goodness in the morning, huh. right? So, Did we, they re- did they remain on good terms, the two brothers? I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Do, do, do you remember? Huh. Uh, no, I think they, it, you know, I basically... They went, they went separate ways. W.K. Kellogg, the original guy, the, the, the doctor, was like, you've ruined it. You've ruined the, the, the business. Huh. And he's like, how do you think I ruined that? I just, Made uh, a ton we're, we're now a multi-bazillion dollar <laughs> company. How did hmm. Post come into this? Because I remember yeah. at some point Post came into this, and that's how a we whole have different. Mm-hmm. Well, I, aren't Post cereals usually less sugary? Like, they're the ones Those that are, are the more like, of like the Kashi type. Yeah, yeah. It's not, but. Yeah, I think po- Kellogg went the way of mass sugarizing every cereal they can get their hands on, whereas Post went the whole grain, whole wheat, whole... Like shredded wheats, 
mm-hmm. but not the frosted ones. Uh, <laughs> you know, my grandpa ate. My grandpa was a horrible diabetic, and he would eat shredded wheats for breakfast for his bowel movements. <laughs> <his> right? Bowel <laughs> yeah, uh, just jacking his sugar all kinds yeah. up. You know, fixing well, one problem but yeah. causing another. Well, I'll save this uh, story for another podcast. But my theory in high school and college, even early medical school, I ate post-total raisin bran. And the reason being, I don't know if you remember, back then they would add all, it had 100% of every vitamin in it. Oh, yeah, they used to have that on the box. (laughs) And I thought, and I think there's some truth, just not all the sugar Uh and the carbs, uh, that if you give your body all the essential vitamins, that hormonally, my thought was 20, 30 years ago, then once you satisfy all those needs your body, you can control your hunger. So I was on to something early on. I just, it wasn't post-total Misguided. brand. <laughs> you <laughs> know, I think Pop-Tarts might have like 100% and of it your would add vitamins daily to all that vitamins. They have considered it. They do have. I'm pretty sure they do, yeah. <laughs> That's where they get the kids. They're like, oh, but mom, these have all the vitamins that I need. Yeah, Post has like uh, grape nuts and uh, Post Toasties. Oh, grape nuts. So the where, where they're in intertwine, Post and Kellogg is, Kellogg accused Post of stealing his recipes. So there was kind of a, hmm. you you dang cereal makers. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, man. Good stuff. Good we might stuff. have to come back to that. If you, if you want to hear that whole story, go and listen to that, the, the, the podcast, the podcast uh, on things you should know. And I'm trying to figure out the the actual episode number, but just search. it's in there. Yeah. yeah, just search things you should know, breakfast. Yeah. And you'll get it. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. In a good debate, you have to have a one final argument. <laughs> it could be a final statement. My my statement is I we a patient can control their hunger through food choices, not necessarily cow restriction, food choices that controls your hormones, which ultimately control your hunger. That's my statement. And so it's gonna re- naturally reduce your calorie intake, but it's through what specifically you're eating not looking up the calories on your phone and saying if i reduce it it's ultimately going to cause weight gain or weight loss yeah what about you chelsea any statement my final statement would be calories matter but quality matters more it's all about the hormones, baby. <laughs> He's not even going to say anything about it's calories. It's all about the hormones. And I think, you know, let's leave it with this. Because I think this is a very important conversation in the setting of weight loss surgery. Because most people visualize and think of weight loss surgery as reducing intake. Yeah. Right? A sleeve. It's going to help you eat less food. Gastric bypass, which I disagree with, is supposedly going to help you eat less food. You know, duodenal switch, the gastric band, all these things were designed about helping you eat less food. And I tell people, I give them this talk about, hey, the the, the volume is not the end-all, be-all. The calorie content, or the calories are not the end-all, be-all. Uh, what I want reduced intake to do for people is to have them stop thinking about it. Quit thinking about calories. Don't count them. You know, throw the calories away with your with your scale. Throw them both away. And focus on the content. Mm-hmm. That's what I want sleeves and duodenal switches to do. So I don't want people listening to this podcast going, oh, they don't think that eating less works. Like <laughs> it's two elements. Like you're right. saying, there's there's a calorie con- there's a calorie component, there's a volume component, but there's a quality, there's a content component. You can't you gotta pay attention to both of them. 
Yeah. Right. And both of them affect your hormones. And if patients... Without proof. <laughs> if they think surgery is just going to reduce what they eat and they do not change the quality of work. what got them in this position to begin with, if they go back to that after surgery, they will regain all their weight back. Absolutely. Yep. And, and another, I think another problem with uh, kind of the calorie, people can't figure out, like we're, we're sitting here having this conversation about changing your content and people struggle with that. So they opt for meal replacement, mm. right? And that's mm-hmm. where the protein bars and the meal replacement bars and the meal replacement shakes. Every weight loss system out there has ever been designed around that, you know, metabolic research. I mean, wherever mm-hmm. you go sign up for a weight yeah. loss program, you're going to get sold some meal replacement shakes. For sure. Real food. No, it's got to be real food. Real yep. food. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Let's end it with that. Let's okay. end it with that. Yeah, real we're food. late. All right.